Welcome back to Heddle's Blowout. I'm managing editor David Shuck, and Reed is off this week because his day job is getting people to vote. So it's just me here, also trying to get you to vote. There's a little bit of history here. In 2016, Nick, the other owner of Heddle's, uh, and I made the decision not to run articles on election day and instead post a plea to vote in the hope that it would get some of the people in our admittedly modest-sized audience to participate. It was kind of a gutsy move for us, as we'd never really been explicitly political on the site before, and our audience includes a lot of places outside of the U.S. I think the U.S. is about 50% of you, and the other half is everywhere else. And also, Nick is Canadian, and he started this whole mess. So our company is Canadian as well, um, even though I'm an American. But any time that we deviate from talking about pants and pants accessories in the slightest degree, all of the, like, why'd you have to get so political folks come out of the woodwork with threats of unsubscribing. That idea is so silly to me that politics is circumscribed in this little sandbox that exists in one corner, and then, you know, discussion of jeans is in another corner, and then there's, like, basketball and fast food and uh, what have you, each in their own little, like, self-contained, self-occupied thing. It's, you know, all these things, like, interact so, so, so frequently and influence each other that, you know, the the, the focus of our blog is relatively niche, but... It, it, politics in general is uh, to think that they can just be ignored in really any discussion is comes from such a place I think of ignorance that uh, politics affects literally everything, and if they don't negatively affect your life, then it's something that's from a complete position of comfort and that they don't um, harm you in really any negative way. But, you know, everything is the result of politics and policy decisions that they, they they shape everything about our existence, really. Like, the jeans you're wearing are the result of policy decision. So is, you know, what you ate for breakfast and the data that you're accessing to hear this. So, you know, politics and policy decisions affect pretty much every aspect of our daily lives. And, you know, some of us for the better, some of us for the worse. And... We primarily focus on product at Heddles, and a lot of it made domestically by small manufacturers and you know really tiny companies of dedicated folks that uh, aren't really making a lot of money at it and are just sort of barely scraping by. And so, as a thought experiment, I'd like to imagine you know all the infrastructure and political decisions that it takes to make and sell a pair of jeans and. Maybe not imagine is the best word, but just sort of to uh, think about all these things and and reflect on them because there are all these other forces at play that influence whether you can produce a product like that and be successful at it. So imagine, if you will, that you're trying to start a denim brand in the United States. Let's let's think of all the things that you would need. So say like, you know, uh, right off the bat, you got to have a name. Say, you know, where I'm, it's me here and it's just David's denim brand. And if you're going to be calling yourself David's denim brand, you need to make sure that no one else is going to use that as well and get confused with you. So you have to have some sort of copyright from a central repository of, uh, that it keeps track of all these things and doesn't let things get confused or overlapped. 
So, you know, if someone else doesn't come along and say that they're actually David's denim brand and they're just sort of riding the coattails of, you know, the actual company um, and selling, you know, knockoff things or just stealing people's money, that you have to have a some sort of teeth behind that name and enforcement. And, you know, this is something that the government currently does and copyright laws are varied and very complex. I remember getting the copyright for Heddles was kind of a nightmare, but it ensures that, you know, no other site can come along and say they're Heddles and uh, confuse the consumer and sell things under our name, like with bad intent. And then say, okay, you got your name, you uh, are ready to start making jeans. So you got to find some fabric. And I imagine that if you're doing this yourself, you aren't big enough to produce your own fabric. So you've got to find a uh, something that is of high quality that you're going to want to import potentially from Japan or Italy or Turkey or one of those places that actually makes salvage denim. And the way that like our country like contacts and makes these deals with other countries is incredibly complex, and it affects a lot of things about you know tariffs and uh, how expensive your jeans can be based on the cost of importing that thing into the country that like for a lot of different products, like, you know, we talked about this in the rise and fall of made in USA episode, but there are quotas and different percentages based on different things that are going to vastly affect your bottom or top line of what you can make and uh, profit on a pair of jeans to even make it be reasonable for you to try to sell them. Or if you're lucky, you can do find something that is made domestically. But as we talked about uh, also in the Rise and Fall of the Made in USA article, like a lot of the trade policies that have been developed and a lot of the, you know, Policy decisions in general in the United States have made it so that manufacturing denim here isn't a profitable bet, and so people don't do it anymore. So finding your fabric is inherently something that is affected by interaction with the government. To say that jeans are not affected by politics is totally asinine, if, even if only for this one point, that... Uh, the way that trade policy is organized by the government, and that's like sort of the only way that you can do it. You know, you can't have everyone and their uncle negotiating different trade deals with different countries. You got your fabric, you got your name, you got your copyright all set up, and now, like, how are you going to get the word out about yourself? And you're probably going to want a website, and you're going to want, you know, social media handles, and you're going to want to access the internet. Um, which is, again, a thing that was developed and created by the government. And all of the infrastructure of like all the cables in the ground that actually run the information back and forth, also put in there by the government. Um, it just happens to be that all the telecoms make money off of that, even though our tax dollars subsidized everything. Um, but that that's a pond that we don't have to wade into here at the moment. But you know, just having a thing like internet access is a complete game changer in uh, the way a small business can run and be self-sufficient um, that wasn't really possible um, in, you know, 20 years and before, uh, 20 years ago and before. Um, and in order to, like, have internet access is, 
something that is often insured by the government. And it, you know, even that of like a phone, all of these communication lines were set up by a much larger organization that you know, had the money to invest in putting all of this uh, infrastructure in place so it could be used for the greater good. And the only people that are uh, have that sort of forward thinking and have the resources to do it is a large collective of folks that, like the government, where we're paying our taxes to. So you got uh, your word out there and people want to buy your stuff. How are you going to get it to them? Um, this is uh, another thing that you think about a world without government existence, that uh, you don't have a postal service, that um, we talked about a few episodes ago, how the you know, postal service being vastly curtailed when it's one of the few services that like has that massive buy-in from a large enough group of people that uh, it can compete with even the largest private enterprise. So to like send a first-class package of something of like a pound or less, that there's no way that FedEx or DHL or UPS can even come close to it. The only folks that uh, can compete really with the size and scale of the postal service. Um, is Amazon, and that's a thing of like, you know, it, if you're a individual trying to make your denim brand, uh, and you have to compete with the distribution ability of an Amazon, it's just you, you might as well just bow out immediately. It's going to take something of a lot of people coming together to make the most efficient thing for the greatest need. Um, and it's the same thing too with something as basic as like roads and traffic lights. Can you imagine if uh, roads were entirely private of like you had uh, Coca-Cola like paving the roads in Atlanta and what those would look like? You know, they would only pave the minimal amount of road that would be necessary to go from like their factory to wherever their distribution center is. And rather than something that would create access to, you know, every place that needs it in the country and every person that needs it which is a way to have this sort of interconnectedness just like the internet and the postal service so all of this commerce can happen. And so you can knowingly, you know, if someone buys a pair of jeans through your website, you can uh, use the postal service and you can drive it in your uh, car that has gasoline in it that was inspected by a uh, government board to make sure that it is something that will actually run your car and that your car is inspected to the point that if you get you know, in a car accident, you are least likely to die in a crash. So, yeah, it's just a thing that there are all these interconnected forces that are at play that, like, if they couldn't all exist simultaneously, that it would be impossible to have any sort of business or human interaction or people making any progress whatsoever because it would just be all you know, anarchy of uh, people making their own rules of the road and like trying to have a Pony Express to like, like send something across the country privately in, you know, just things just don't function. There's, there's no baseline that exists without this stuff. And this isn't even to account for things like, you know, labor rights and inspection of if you want to use a third party factory, say to like farm out the production of your jeans, um, and you want it to be a place where the workers aren't abused and they're being paid fairly of like, how do you know? 
Like if you're in the United States, like you can have some hope that uh, the uh, Department of Labor and OSHA does inspections on these places and uh, has some sort of teeth to enforce something there and generally isn't as susceptible to bribery as they are in, say, a country where it doesn't have nearly as strong of a central government. Um, so you need a larger and independent in inspecting body to investigate and verify claims of, say, you know, like people are being abused or not paid or being like even held in forced labor conditions uh, in your country. And you can't really have that without a much larger organization than yourself if it's just you and a couple friends trying to make pants. As you have all this set up and you want to make the business go even further and you need a loan, um, but you go to the bank and you know the bank is not regulated, um, so the bank might just deny you the loan based on something that you can't control, like your age or your race or your gender or your sexual orientation, that there has to be some regulation there to make sure that the bank is playing fair with all of its customers and giving you know, fair rates to uh, equally qualified people that are trying to, you know, get money to start their project. And this isn't even including things like, say, you know, education of like, where are you going to learn, say, the common language to interact with all the people that you need or learn the skills and sort of the basic, I don't know, uh, human society 101 type stuff that will allow you to interact effectively and have a business. Uh, and makes pe sure people are all existing on the same playing field so that they can communicate with as little friction as possible. Um, as well as things like uh, healthcare. So like most people get that through their job, and it, as a small business owner, you're sort of up the creek. And the same with your employees, because uh, I believe it's after 49 full-time employees, you have to provide benefits to them. But it's just also incredibly asinine that your healthcare is tied to your job, and it would and be another one of these things that'd be a lot easier, cheaper, and safer if it was done by a central organization. So, like you, you've got your jeans made, but say the fabric that you bought, what if it was dyed with such a chemical that had not been inspected, and actually ends up giving all of your customers like horrible bleeding psoriasis because uh, they. Uh, the the dye manufacturer just wanted to get rid of some extra vat of whatever they had lying around, and they know there are no consequences if they just put stuff in the in the pants. You need something to ensure that the products that you're getting are not going to be harmful, and that's a thing that again, like your resources are so limited as such a small company that you just can't do those things, and you have to have faith in a larger organization that's able to do it. A lot of this stuff, it's it's a bit of a, a rant here and just saying that like there's so many things that we just take for granted that exist here in the United States that make sure that our lives run well and uh, like we don't face death and danger at every corner and that a lot of things are so easy, like being able to send a mail, like a, a letter across the country for you know, almost 50, like a little over 50 cents or be able to send a package cross country for less than $10. Um, if it's under 10 pound or it's under a pound, uh, it's 
things like this that came a lot clearer into focus for me when we were doing Co-op 4 a few years ago, the Azrock bandana with AGI denim in Pakistan. And it just really opened my eyes to how much more difficult it is to operate in countries where they don't have a unified and effective government that can ensure a lot of these things just run smoothly um, because they're the ones that are having that investment and making sure it works. So when I was there, like AGI Denim had to basically have its own mini government because the federal government in Pakistan or I guess the local government and uh, around Karachi and Sindh uh, was not um, organized or effective enough to do it themselves. That uh, is no fault of their own. Like uh, a lot of that part of the world has been fucked over by uh, um, Western colonialism and had all of their resources stripped from them for centuries. That uh, it un- it makes a lot of sense why they are uh, you know not nearly as far uh, far away along because you know they're still under a lot of exploitative relationships with the West. But, you know, that, and that's the reason why their government um, is, I think, to a large extent, still much weaker in providing for its people because that is a way that makes them more easily exploited by Ameri- or American and Western business interests to produce clothing there. But beside the point, getting back to AGI Denim, like, they had to have their own municipal infrastructure that uh, they couldn't rely on the government to provide basic things for them that we, you know, we think of as basic over here, um, that they had to have their own power plant because you know there were uh, a lot of rolling blackouts and the power was not consistent there, especially for what they need to do their jobs of you know, weaving and dyeing like lots and lots of denim. And they also had to have their own water supply is they couldn't trust the water that was coming uh, from the municipal uh, municipal water department to give them clean enough things um, to actually produce the uh, a consistent enough product that they needed. Uh, they had to have like their own security, which was sort of a trip for me because like for the week and a half I was there, we rode around in a bulletproof pickup truck with a guy with an AK on the back. But they had to have their own health facilities for employees, and they even had to have their own fire contingencies because you know they couldn't rely on the fire department to come and put the uh, if they had a factory fire, they couldn't rely on them to come put it out. And having all of those overheads that a business has to provide for themselves makes it really, really, really difficult for small and artisanal businesses to to grow from that size and get going you couldn't really have a mid-sized business there because it would just take so many pieces to put it together uh, if you wanted to do something like that in-house or it would have to be done in a much riskier manner that wouldn't ensure a you know product that would necessarily meet the standards of what people would want to buy. Uh, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is that you need a stable society where people have the ability to create and have a social safety net to fall back on for, you know, work to really happen and forward progress to be made and, you know, commerce to even really exist. Uh, If you don't have these things, like everyone's just worrying about all these other like small problems that we don't even really have much of a conception of in the West um, that prevents anyone from, you know, focusing their effort on the things that really matter to them. Um, 
which is the thing that like here in the US that's like very different from a lot of the other developed world is the struggle for healthcare in this country is really 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 intense like um just personally I almost had to quit huddles a couple of years ago because like I needed shoulder surgery and the options on the public healthcare exchange were so abysmal that my out of pocket cost was almost $10,000 and I seriously considered getting a full-time job at just a company so I could have better health insurance coverage. And my problem wasn't even life-threatening. It was something that I could, I guess, schedule around and do it to the point where it would be the most financially advantageous for me to do it. But it's one of those things that is just like such a waste of human hours and energy for uh, us to spend all this money on something like healthcare when it could be done um, by a central organization that can mitigate the cost much more effectively than all of us as individuals. In having like an event like that happen to me, it just makes it very clear of like, think of all the businesses that were never started and all the artists that had to give up their passions and all the sites like ours that couldn't make it on their own because the people that were behind them had healthcare problems. You know, problems that were no fault of their own, and they had to put their effort into a larger company and sort of put their dreams aside because they couldn't afford health insurance, which, again, as I said, isn't really an issue in many, many other countries, including Canada, where uh, business partner Nick lives. These are all tangible effects of policy decisions that are made by our elected officials. And, you know, these affect everything from how much cotton farmers are subsidized if we're going to invest in internet infrastructure or how much money we're going to burn bombing poor people abroad and putting poor people in cages here at home. So the, the things that we write about and the things we're able to devote ourselves to are dramatically affected by who's in power in this country and the policies that they choose to pursue. I would be really, really surprised if the Affordable Care Act got repealed that there aren't a lot of other denim brands uh, that are small you know, mom and pop organizations, sort of like we are here at Heddles, that would have to reconsider what they're doing because a lot of them have kids and they have uh, significant others that they have to provide for and their risk is just that much higher. Is the, the, the central crux here is that a lot of the things become much more efficient when they're tackled as a collective effort via something like the government. And, you know, that that's sort of the purpose of government in... Um, you know, my understanding of it and what I, I'd like to think of it as an ideal is to you know, mitigate the risk for its citizens and to protect them. And whether that's something like, you know, building roads or shipping packages or certifying that food and medicines are safe for consumption or providing public education or libraries, just like these are all things that function much better as a collective than they do as, you know, individual squabbling over things. Because when that baseline is taken care of, it means that we have the ability to pursue things like you know, art and sports and making niche artisanal genes without having to worry that our tap water might poison us. To tie this all in this back around, voting is by far the easiest way to participate in that process and to help move the needle away from having to worry about all the small risks of existence and towards some things, you know, the other things that we really want out of our lives, like getting neat wear patterns on our anachronistic pants, for example. And 
uh, it's so much more too than just voting for president. You know, the things that will affect you the most are likely local elections and ballot propositions that are right there in your state and in your town. So say where I live in Denver, we get to decide on everything from what judges get to keep their jobs, uh, what the betting limits will be in casinos. If wolves should be introduced into the wild, that's an interesting one that's on the ballot this year, and lots, lots more. So if you haven't voted yet, this is one last plea for you to do so. There's a link in the description for you to find your polling place and how to register. Um, but also want to make another uh, entreaty that uh, don't stop there. This electoral politics is the easiest way to change government policy, but it's far, far from the only way. And in my opinion, like not even the most effective way. That becoming active in your local government is so easy and such a low bar to entry that like, you know, when I started showing up to city council and county commission meetings and even, you know, state assembly uh, meetings, it's mind boggling how much influence you can have if you're just someone that's willing to show up. And especially right now, it's super easy to show up because a lot of city councils and county commissions and things like that are online for the first time and more accessible than they've ever been because the pandemic has made it that you know people can't safely show up in person. And another thing that you can do is just call these people. I mean, all of their information and contacts are publicly available. And they'll often pick up the phone themselves. Like most of them don't even have staff and very, very few people call them. So if you just have something that like you want to grouse about, they're sort of there to hear you for it. And the more that you grouse, the more likely they are to do something because it's something that they want to say, oh, look at what I did for my constituents. I, you know, put a stop sign here or I got a, a bike lane put up there. I filled this pothole or something else not related to roads. You know, I don't know why I got on that road kick, but uh, bike lanes are great. Um, beyond that, you can get organized and make your causes be known. So you can, you know, protest and put up signs and canvas and knock on people's doors for things that are important to you. And even contact the local media and join other organizations that might be sympathetic to your cause. Because if you have something that's like bothering you enough to take action about it, a lot of people are probably already on your side, but they just might be unaware that the problem exists or that there's a, a way for them to take action on it. That so much of our government, you know, is set aside in this other separate arena of the people of like, you know, don't bring politics into it that it seems like this other world that is too difficult for the common person to interact with when it's just so easily right there. You know, like I've done a lot of volunteer work um, with the ACLU of Colorado here, specifically on pretrial justice and, you know, getting people out of jail. And it's so easy to just show up at committee hearings and say, oh, I want to talk for three minutes and like the entire committee has to listen to you talk. And uh, in many ways, it moves the needle and changes the way that people vote and really drastically affects policy. That there were uh, several bills in the last couple legislative sessions that have made it so that a lot, lot fewer people are in jail in this state. And that was due to work of people uh, just showing up and making those cases be heard and the representatives listening to them. You know, gridlock at the highest levels of our government can seem insurmountable, but uh, when you get down to the local areas where money does not hasn't sort of seeped its way in as much, 
and the gridlock is much less severe, there are a lot more earnest people that actually sort of want to do something about government that haven't been totally, you know, corrupted by the machine yet. And even if they are, you can also take a lot of the things that you're concerned about to the logical conclusion of getting signatures for your own ballot initiative that could have the potential to change policy directly, that there are several things on the ballot this year in Colorado that were done outside of the legislative assembly and just a thing that like a bunch of people that really cared about it got out and got about enough signatures that it's on the ballot. And now with, you know, 50% of the vote, they're going to directly change policy. There are an infinite number of ways you can get involved and voting is the bare minimum, which even though it's way, way, way more difficult to vote than it ever should be. And a lot of these things are suppressed by design. So fewer people vote. And uh, even the entire concept of voter registration is voter suppression, in my opinion. Um, but that's just another one of those things to organize around. And an endless number of things in our society that could be improved and organized to make all of our lives better. Um, which are, again, like most directly administered by the you know, collective organization that we've all decided to throw our hats behind, the government. So... That's the end of my Panzer political rant. And thank you for coming. You still got a couple days left to get out there. And uh, a lot of places you can still register to vote same day up until the election. Um, just be safe out there and know that you are not as powerless as you think you are. That uh, votes do matter. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of other things that you can do to make your voice heard and make it uh, help us create a society where, you know, we're less worried about bullshit, like, uh, you know, healthcare deductibles and more worried about things like making sick fades. Now we'll get back to the history of denim next week, but thank you for listening and, uh, catch you later.